For the week of February 16th, 2020, this is Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into every Star Wars TV and Disney Plus streaming series, as well as all the latest news coming out of Lucasfilm. We are just days away from the premiere of the seventh season of The Clone Wars. And today we are discussing this two-part series finale of Star Wars Resistance, The Escape. And to help me with that is John. John, how are you doing? I am surprisingly satisfied. I uh, don't want to kind of give away the full review here, but uh, I, I enjoyed what I saw this past week. So uh, it's going to be fun to dig into it. Absolutely. So we have this series wrapped, Star Wars Resistance. It is mm-hmm. over. We are done with it. It is. We had it for two seasons. We'll get into this conversation of this series finale here. But yes, I think uh, it's going to be a nice one today. So let's just get into it. Yeah, let's do it. So Kaz and Yeager attempt to rescue Tam from the First Order as she has decided to flee following the destruction of Aos. In her attempt, Tam is followed by the First Order, leading to the capture of Tam, Kaz, and Yeager. So, this, I was shocked. So, the first <laughs> the, the episode opens up with the normal we get with the First Order. It seems like, you know, there's some sort of complaining going on. Her and Rucklin are having some sort of conversation about their next thing that they're going to be doing and why they're doing it and all this. It, it's basically the same thing that happens. So I was assuming that this was going to turn into something similar that we've seen, but no, they are in the system associated with Aos. They pull up to that planet and they destroy the remnants of that rebel base and the village that these little bit of lighthearted genocide to kick off our finale. I mean, man, but like right from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. So season one, they like save that for the last like scene of the episode. But this one, no, they open it up. They open up the finale with this with this genocide. I mean, holy cow. So this is really one of the big times in this show that we've seen really the sinister nature once again of the First Order appear. I mean, we kind of got a gist of that from this whole season and even the finale from last season. And of course, if you watched this new uh, trilogy of films, you get they're basically the empire 2.0, however you want to refer to them. But in this kids show and one that is, that is more geared towards children than the past television shows that we've had from star Wars this one day. Yeah, they get right into it. I mean, you see a couple of these uh, characters on this planet of Aos looking up at the sky, kind of knowing what's happening. Like you can kind of read their faces. Like mm-hmm. they know that they're about to get blasted. I mean, yeah. What'd you think of this? Uh, I, I thought it uh, was pretty, pretty hard hitting. It was a, a very impactful way to start the episode, right? It, it sets the stakes, right? The Colossus went to that planet for refuge. They found unlikely allies who proved to be like an honorable tribe. And unfortunately, you know, that chance encounter with these people, (laughs) it was a bad move. You know, unfortunately, you know, it revealed them to the first order and they paid for it. The interesting thing is they show it from their perspective first. Kind of like you Mm -hmm. said, like they, they look up, they see the star destroyers come out of hyperspace and they just kind of gulp and take in what's about to happen. And it's a very, very poignant moment as uh, you know, fire rains down on them. Yeah, some some serious serious <laughs> stakes uh unfolding in this finale and uh yeah, it it hit. It it really was 
the gut punch that you kind of needed to get into this and say, okay, you know what? We are in the end game. Mm -hmm. Uh, we saw last week, you know, a transport go down and that was kind of impactful. Well, you know, they're upping the ante yet again. The first order is showing that, um, yeah, they're just going to steamroll, uh, until they, you know, finally do in the Colossus. And, uh, yeah, here we go. Interesting. Very interesting way to kick it off. Yeah, and this is, of course, troubling for Tam and really what sends her over the edge. And so, mm -hmm. uh, and going into this episode, we knew that there was going to be this redemption factor for Tam, and we've seen her struggle throughout the season of really, it, does she accept what the First Order is doing? Is she going to submit to them and continue to do what she's been kind of doing? She's been half-hearted doing everything that they've been telling her to do, but she's been doing it nonetheless. And so one of the things I was worried about is like, are they going to have like an easy cop out i figured that it was going to be the colossus was in a present danger and she did what she basically did in the last episode which kind of hesitated or right. gave them the opportunity to to get the shot off first which is fine and we've seen a lot of things do that especially here in star wars but i thought i thought that's the route they were going i didn't think that it was going to be a part of uh yeah she just watched an entire planet or not the planet, I guess, but this entire a village. Of, yeah, civilization. Yeah. Of innocent people. I mean, people that were really just there, and only a select few actually helped hide out the resistance yeah. on this planet. Obviously, this is more than Tam is willing to stomach. Ruckland, however, mm -hmm. he's not just accepting the nature of the First Order. He's uh, reveling in it. You know, yeah. like, you can tell that there's really nothing redeemable in him. So, uh, it's a little bit more satisfying that mm -hmm. this episode doesn't go very well for him. But yes, you see the contrast of a dyed in the wool believer in the first order and someone who's still clinging to their humanity and just can't quite give themselves over to that. He puts it right out in front of her. He says, look, you, you got to accept these sort of things if you're going to be in the first order. Mm -hmm. And she thinks about it. She says, yep, you're absolutely right. If I'm yeah. going to be in the first order, I got to accept this. And the gears start turning and she starts figuring out how she's going to get out of this mess. Uh, yeah. You know what? Good storytelling. Good storytelling. Yeah. And even with that, going back to what you said about Rucklin is, yeah, he's not just accepting it and taking the job half-heartedly. He wants the next level. He wants to do the next thing for the First Order, like Tam was pursuing. They were kind of both pursuing the same thing. The both, they were both pursuing the same status. But right. he wanted it for different reasons. She wanted it to exercise her skills that she had and that that she thought that she was going to be able to do she wanted to fly more she wanted to to do all these sort of things but he wanted to do it more so out of i don't like you said i'm not only accepting this but i'm celebrating this like he's right. the guy on empire day showing up and like yes this is <laughs> yeah. this is my fourth of july yeah this is this is like a teenage hux you know this is someone that has no moral qualms about uh yeah being the the oppressor in the galaxy um, yeah, dude has to die. <laughs> yeah. And then, so the next thing is she obviously goes to that comm link and tries to communicate with Kaz. But before that, we get what I've been waiting for all season. We get the Supreme Leader Kylo Ren appearing. <laughs> I thought you were going to say we get the mouse droid. <laughs> so I thought that was the next scene. But yes, okay, yes, the stakes are going to you know go up even further for our our villains of the series. Uh, yeah, this was a fun scene. Um, lay it out. Sorry, I didn't, didn't mean to catch Yeah, so I think the mouse droid is first, but <laughs> there there's a little more that goes on with the mouse droid following this this next uh, mm -hmm. next thing with the Supreme Leader. So we get because I was kind of 
hoping that we would see more of Kylo Ren maybe throughout the season through this hologram. But then as it goes about, I figured it was kind of going to be like the last shot of the episode, mm-hmm. him getting mad at the incompetence of this specific First Order uh, platoon, if you want to call it, or whatever, the, the Star Destroyer. Mm-hmm. And But no, he comes in towards the beginning and really shows off his power to Pyre and uh, Commander Tierney. And I mean, man, like we don't really spend a whole lot of time with Supreme Leader Kylo Ren, even in the films. I mean, we get the last act in The Last Jedi, and then, of course, a good portion of the film in The Rise of Skywalker, but we don't really see him be a menacing Supreme Leader. We get the meeting with him where he's going over with his his top his top guys there yeah. and, you know, pointing out to Hux that he's troubled about the mask, whatever, but we don't really see a lot of it. And so to see how he treats kind of these lowers, these people that are a couple of stages lower than him and how he's really showing like, yeah, you are going to listen to me and just seeing this classic callback to uh, what was that? That was the empire strikes back where Vader force chokes that one commander or the mob. Apology accepted captain. Oh, it was just, so it was cool to see that. And it was cool to see, just this kind of menacing villain that he still is at this point. So mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that. Uh, yeah. So what do you think about getting Kylo Ren not once, but twice in this episode? This was a fantastic scene. We had a great opening scene, but this, this is a scene that could have been an exceptional scene in any of the movies, mm-hmm. you know, like the tension that they created, the, the ominous presence of him and hitting them against each other, you know, by manipulating their arms to grab their weapons and basically draw on each other while they're, you know, sweating buckets frozen and, you know, with a look of distress over their faces, this was intense. And it, it sends that message that, uh, like you said, the, the message that the Vader used, used to send, you know, like I find your lack of faith disturbing, like when he needed to get the troops in line, he could have these impressive shows of force. So for Kylo Ren, you know, to demonstrate this in a, uh, not a, not a brutal way, but in a way that says, look, I can kill you at any moment. Mm-hmm. You know, your life is in my hands and it doesn't matter where you go. Cause you cannot run from my power. Uh, it's all on display here. And, uh, I was feeling it. I was like, yeah, there's a villain, yeah. there's a villain. And there's two very scared, <laughs> you know, officers that are now going to do everything they can to get the Colossus because it's their neck on the line, quite literally. So again. It's the finale. We're playing all our cards. We're pulling out all the stops. We're 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 raising the stakes as high as a show like this can raise them. Mm-hmm. And I'm feeling it. I'm I'm loving this. Yeah. And so then Tam, of course, she gets this this mouse droid to do her <laughs> yes. bidding for her. So she kind of reprograms it and gets it to kind of cause distractions, open up doors so that she can sneak in, uh, get some more information, and of course send this distress signal to Kaz. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so she goes through all this. Now, I have a couple of problems with her method, but, I mean, it's it's whatever. Now, what I really liked about this, so immediately she tries to communicate to Kaz, and it cuts to the scene where Kaz and Niku are working on the fireball, and Nico is just wowed by Kaz's <laughs> improvement in in mechanics. So uh, you get this kind of slapstick humor, but it's so it's so fitting because, of course, I everyone knows by now that I love Niku and this just whole wow, Kaz, you've gotten so much better at this and all this sort of stuff. And basically, uh, is complimenting him, but then once again, kind of turns it into an insult at the end, but not really meaning to. So I just right. I really enjoyed that aspect of the relationship and like the, they kind of fit that in here. 
yeah, Kaz is on a high, right? Like we watched over the last few episodes, him sort of come into his own as a, you know, resistance spy and as a, you know, a man in the making, right? Like mm-hmm. he, he finally proved his worth to the people on the station and he has the respect of Doza and he's got a handle on himself. And because he now has that confidence, you see it coming across, you know, he's not as bumbling and, and, you know, he's, he's a little sharper tongued and, you know, he's just, yeah, he's, he's in his groove. Uh, so it is funny for, uh, Niku to be, you know, going off on a, a tear about, you know, just how much of a contrast it is from how terrible he was not so long ago. Um, yeah, this, this was fun enough. We, we had some exposition we had to get out of the way, right? We had to establish that there was a code that Tam and hit and Niku use. Cause obviously that's going to play into the, the communicator thing. So this was an efficient scene in that, you know, it had to get us into the plot now, right? We've seen where the first order's at and we've seen what they're willing to do to find the Colossus. Now we need to get the story going. And, you know, this was a fun enough way to do that. Uh, it was, it was fine. Yeah, so Tam, she, of course, uses the same comm link. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the issue I had with it. So she okay. sends the comm link, right? So I guess the only reason that she takes it with her, that she doesn't put it back into her shelf, one, she doesn't realize that Tierney is checking her things, correct? Like, is that is that what we are to believe here? Because Tierney knows exactly where to go to get this comm link sure. when she becomes suspicious of her. Do you, are you recalling what I am referring yeah, to? Yeah, no, here? I am. And I, I think it just was a matter of uh, opportunity, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Tam picked her timing to try and get into the office and, and get the communicator. I think breaking into Tierney's office twice is just it's dicey. Yeah. More than she was willing to deal with all she, cause we, the next scene we have is her fueling up her tie fighter. Her plan isn't to bring a bunch of, of no. uh, tie pilots with her. Hers is just to blast out of there and get into hyperspace before anyone knows mm-hmm. that she made contact and kind of have a clean break before, you know, anyone's the wiser. So the fact that she has to improvise here a little bit and take Rockland and take, you know, a couple other ties with her to keep up the ruse of her training mission. That's, you know, that that's the misstep there. Yeah. Uh, going back and putting it back and covering her tracks was never a, a necessity if she thought she was going to be flying out of there before anyone would be the wiser. So I think that's kind of where her thinking was at. Now. When this occurs, so she goes and she chooses the the rendezvous point, if you will, to be on Castellon, which is where the Colossus was located throughout season one, mm-hmm. which is kind of like a nice callback. They go back there. They see because, uh, w- of course, Kaz and Yeager get there first and they see this old race track. And it's, of course, run down because no one's been there in, in a while now. So I, I kind of liked the circle of them going back to where it all started. Sure. So we get all of this stuff, which is just so much fun and a nice callback there. But then, of course, you have the ties that are following Tam. So, mm-hmm. like, what did she expect? Did she expect for them really, like, not to shoot and she sure. was going to go down and inspect the uh, the the transport ship? Or I mean, you know, so that that yeah. was the major hole at this point. But I kind of sure. read it as she's she's kind of playing this one. Yeah, yeah, her improvising skills are not flawless. <laughs> I don't know why she brought her squadron with her. Mm-hmm. You know, like she didn't have to give them the coordinates and say we're, you know, we're changing directions, right. you know, follow me to these new coordinates. I wonder why she didn't say, "Okay, now everybody, you guys fly over there for mm-hmm. 500 miles." And you know, as soon as they're off in the other direction, she takes off, and by the time anyone's the wiser, hopefully they can't, you know, track her, you know, yeah. figure out where she was off to and it at least gives her enough time to rendezvous and get out of there. I don't know why that wasn't the obvious move, but shows need conflict and shows Mm -hmm. need confrontation and shows need excitement. So it is what it is. 
She kind of bumbles this. She brings the ties back. And of course, Ruckland is eager to take them down once he realizes that, uh, you know, it's Kaz and Yeager. It's the resistance. So, uh, you know, he goes out over the intercom. He tells the other ties to engage, which really isn't his place. So I think maybe Tam was saying, well, I'm still in command, so they're not going to fire unless I say so. So maybe I can send them on a wild goose chase once we get there and we're away from the Star Destroyer because I don't want the Star Destroyer to be thinking that I escaped and be pursuing me. Uh, you know, I want to have a few hours here off the grid. So maybe she thought mm-hmm. having two TIE fighters in tow that she was in command of was better than potentially alerting the Star Destroyer. Regardless, we get on the planet. Of course, Ruckland's going to mess things up. Dude has to die. This is my running theme of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, we don't have the clean break that she was hoping for. Yeah. So Ruckland, he he kind of gets it handed to him a couple of the time. So the first part. You have Tam. She kind of like knocks him out with a nice little elbow move as she was piloting <laughs> that TIE fighter, which is impressive within itself. And then she gets a second hit on him here a little bit uh, later on. But yeah, I think that's so true that this show needs conflict. And I also think that this is the conflict that tro- that shows her true allegiance because mm-hmm. she gets there. And of course, these other TIEs are firing upon her family and she takes them out. And yeah. and you know that that's kind of a, a a mature theme here because of course these aren't just they are not set to stun they're not disabling no. the ship and going no you softly. see the ships blow it up and nobody's ejecting you know there's yep. no safe soft landings in the in the ocean there um yeah people dying left and right <laughs> in these two episodes you know we saw it from afar with the the genocide at the beginning but uh yeah th- i think they've decided that they're going to venture a little further into pg territory for the mm-hmm. the finale because they want this to be you know as hard-hitting as they can make the show and it is fun to see it on a kid's show because you don't when you're watching the movies you're like yeah whatever stormtroopers are a dime a dozen right like they're that yeah. they're there to be blasted and it's just part of the fun of pg-13 fair but i'm always watching this thinking like is this something that i can watch with my kids like how, what age is it appropriate so i'm i'm a little bit more disconnected kind of assessing how much they should be getting away with and because i'm thinking that whenever a tie fighter blows up or a stormtrooper gets taken out or or you know some of the stuff we see later in the episode i think i'm feeling it more like a kid would and uh, and i'm thinking yeah like this is impactful stuff for the target audience so i bet that the eight-year-olds that watched the show they were probably really blown away yeah that's my assumption anyways yeah and then the next thing is the choice to take a an unconscious rucklin onto your ship and back to the yeah. clock with you like just leave him in the tie fighter <laughs> he's gonna get scooped up right he, he exactly. knows that eventually someone's gonna come looking for him Oh yeah, dude needs to die. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I think we're getting closer to that point. Yep. But yeah, it was just really interesting that it's like she brings up, yeah, and Ruckland's in the TIE fighter, he's unconscious. And both Kaz and Yeager are like, Oh yeah, well, we can't leave him there. Mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> They're the good guys. They're the good guys, and of course we need conflict, right? We need a way to bring the the might of the first order down on them, and that's not gonna happen if they don't have a saboteur. Right. So the plot is what the plot is. (laughs) And of course they all get scooped up and Rucklin is able to figure out where, uh, where the Colossus is located, which is what the first order. And specifically at the beginning of this episode, more pressure was put on them because before Pyre and tyranny were just getting pressure from Hux and from other higher ups. But now this is coming directly from the Supreme leader. And he is extremely upset that they have not found the Colossus yet. And yeah, so he he gets there and then you have this transport 
that self destructs and before they get once they get into the the star destroyer and this is actually the maneuver that Tam and Yeager were talking about and I really liked seeing this again because there have all throughout season one there were all these inside jokes that Kaz didn't get because he mm-hmm. wasn't around for Yeager and Tam's relationship and so this kind of shows like yes they are they're still close even though that there's been some separation here Tam sure. and Yeager they still are. You know, they're still peanut butter and jelly. They still under they still work well together. And so yeah. while Kaz is kinda fumbling around once again, they're they're getting the job done. And yeah, so I liked them getting into this Star Destroyer and wreaking havoc here. Now that that was just an interesting thing because I didn't think it was gonna go down like this either. I thought that they were actually gonna get back to the Colossus and then they were gonna get tracked somehow, maybe right. what whatever was gonna happen. But no, they actually there's actually a very limited time where the first order is face to face with the Colossus and it's in with the, like the last two minutes of this episode. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so now we get another Rucklin incident. <laughs> sure. Now this was something that uh, it, it felt like star Wars because of course he's, he's getting up and he's giving his menacing. I, yes, it's too late. I'm the one that gave the coordinates to the Colossus. They're going to get there, find where you're hiding and they're going to kill you no matter what, if they don't kill you before you escape. So it doesn't even matter if you escape. And before he gets like five words out, Tam knocks him out again. <laughs> sure. Yeah. We, we get our, our first like bare knuckle punch, uh, from, probably in this whole series. Maybe, maybe we got a little bit in that um, one where they, they were rescuing the resistance spy and mm-hmm. there was that bounty hunter on their tail yep. a few episodes back, but we don't get a lot of this because it's kids fair. So they got to be quick about the cuts. You know, you can never quite make contact or, right. or, um, you know, really like show the the full weight of the blow or whatever. They got pretty close on this. Of course they mm-hmm. still cut it, you know, just in time to, to hit that, that PG rating. But, um, uh, you, you feel it, right? This is something she's wanted to do for a long time. And it's something the audience has wanted to see for a long time. So, uh, yeah, any opportunity to, uh, to, to give it to Rucklin, uh, I, I think, yeah, I, I think we want to get the blows in now because we don't have any more episodes for him to get his comeuppance. So, yeah. uh, yeah, yeah, it was warranted for sure. And, and then this of course is leading to just more and more issues because now Kaz, Tam and Jaeger, they're in a situation where it's like, okay we need to warn the Colossus and they need to get out of there. And there's not even enough time for us to get back. So I really appreciated this. We've seen it a few times with Kaz where he kind of is taking on, no, I'll continue with this distraction. You get out of here. Mm-hmm. And cause that's what heroes do. I mean, we've seen right. that a couple of times. It was save yourself. I'll hold them off. Yeah. 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 And, and so just a, a nice little moment there, but then we have the Colossus, this theme of family that that keeps appearing in this episode, but the Colossus is uh, Doza himself. He's kind of, he's kind of grown a lot since the first episode of season one, but Doza himself is like, you know what? If everyone else is willing to, to fight, then I, I'm not going to do what's best for this specific uh, ship. I'm not going to, to run and hide. If they want to fight, we're going to fight and we're going to be ready for them. So I thought that that was a good moment for him. Sure. It felt nice. It felt like that this show was properly fitting its title of star Wars resistance. And sure. And especially kind of the little branches of resistance. Like to me, this felt like, yeah, the resistance isn't just what we saw from the force awakens, the last Jedi and the rise of Skywalker. I really appreciated that theme. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed Doza really growing up a bit in the scene here. Right. Yeah. No, this is the rallying the troops scene. 
Uh, we've seen this in a lot of Star Wars movies. We saw it in Rogue One to good effect, mm-hmm. right? Like Jyn Erso has to give an impassioned speech yep. in front of, you know, the um, the the Alliance uh, Council, basically. And, uh, you know, you're you're hoping that you're going to win everyone over and everyone's going to be, you know, passionate for the cause. And it doesn't usually happen right away, right? Like there has to be a few moments of sort of like naysaying and people wanting to turn tail and run. So you have to like overcome that human nature of, of not wanting to, to go into battle. Uh, so you get this scene where it is everybody coming together, seeing the bigger picture, being selfless, you know, getting in that uh, mindset of being willing to rally for the cause. This is storytelling as old as time and uh, certainly familiar territory for Star Wars. So very fitting that we have a moment like this in the finale. And kind of like you said, uh, Doza, we saw in the last couple episodes, he made that realization that the fight is coming to them no matter what. Mm -hmm. They're not running anymore. Like he made that decision, but he's a good enough leader that he's not going to make that decision for all of these other innocents who should have the right to decide whether they want to fight or whether they want to you know, seek safer harbor. So, uh, it, it just shows that he's an honorable man, it, but it also shows that he has the fire in his belly. Like ever since his wife got back, he's kind of got that, uh, that vigor back. He's not quite as cowed as we saw him in the first season where the first order is walking all over him. The pirates are walking all over him and he's always about appeasement. He's always about, you know, trying to politic some sort of compromise just to, to keep things stable. No, he's, he's at the end of his rope and he's ready to fight. Uh, so yeah, this is, this is all great. And of course, when push comes to shove, everyone realizes, yes, you always rally for family. That's the ultimate theme of this, right? Kaz comes up over the communicator and there's Tam and they realize they're in peril, but they're hanging in there and they're being selfless. They're not telling them to come and save them. They're not asking for that. They're saying we're putting ourselves in danger to get a message out to you to save yourself. So they're like, well, how can we turn our back on them when they are being selfless and their family. So yeah, it all comes to a head. Everybody gets on the same page and we get our, let's build a barricade montage, you know, like where everyone like gets their weapons and they, they get in position and they, they figure out the strategy. It's kind of like the, uh, the home alone moment where Kevin McAllister is setting up all the traps in the house. And you know, we, we get, we get a little bit of that too. And this is so much fun. I, I, I always get kind of like tickled in in my soul when i see people rallying and you get that you know like let's work together and we're the underdogs but we're going to figure it out through ingenuity and teamwork and gusto and it's all happening here so we've seen what the first order is about to bring down on them and now we're going to see what what they're going to match that with and uh having fun still having lots of fun even drunk Bob is there with his <laughs> yes. drink at hand, but he's ready to go. He's just <laughs> got to have that drink. So, yeah. and I want to point out something you said about how, yeah, Kaz and Tam and Yeager, they're, they're putting themselves on the line to get this message out saying, save yourselves to the point where they're both, they're all three of them are disappointed. They're worried that the Colossus hasn't right. left by the time the first order got there. Mm-hmm. And then you have this this kind of accumulation of events that leads to this, we're going to overpower this First Order because, one, we have something bigger to fight for. So it's this idea of, the, you know, going back to this family, we're rescuing our family. Uh, and also, they're, they're kind of putting all their chips on the table. They're basically saying, yeah, our eight aces, our eight ace pilots are going to, they're going to get the job done. And then, of course, with the help of CB, who deactivates the shields, which yes. lead to basically the whole thing going going south, right? Now, right. if I'm the First Order, because you had Tierney see the droid, 
So she saw the droid when they first were executing the maneuver plan. Sure. So why not just be like, hey, stormtroopers, you know, catch that droid? Because we all know the type of havoc that droids can cause when they go on uh, held unaccountable. Yeah, certainly plucky BB units can uh, because the plot's got a plot. Yeah. Right. Like, (laughs) uh, I think there was a more elegant way that they could have done all this. As Mm -hmm. I was watching the episode, I'm thinking. Wait a minute. So they're going into battle. They're launching the X-Wings. They're launching the, the whole Colossus Squadron Jade Group, which is awesome. I, we needed that roll call in Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. But anyways, that's my own, that's my own quibble. That's yep. my own cross to bear. Um, but they launch and they have no plan because they know the Star Destroyer has shields. They know they're not going to be able to penetrate them. So I'm wondering, we have this setup where they have a quick communication. I'm wondering why when Kaz says save yourself, why Doza or Doza's wife didn't say, you know what? We're not leaving you behind. We are coming. Yeah. Get those shields down. And then all the scrambling on the station for Kaz and Yeager and Tam has purpose. Right. You know, so it's not quite so random that BB or whatever, uh, pink, pink BB eight, uh, just manages to patch in and overhear the communications and decide, Oh, this is what I need to do. Like, that's just a, it's a little convenient. So mm-hmm. I think maybe there was room for that to be smoothed out a bit, but minor quibble because we're having a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, we're rooting for the good guys. There's space battles happening. There's chases and explosions happening inside uh, the Star Destroyer. So there's too much good stuff going on for me to get too worked up about mm-hmm. those kind of plot conveniences, especially since we've seen a lot of that in resistance and we're yeah. forgiving of it again, because this is uh more youthful fare. But anyways, that if, if there's a critique to be made, that's probably the most convenient moment in the whole episode. And then of course you have CB making another heroic yes. move when Kaz, of course, gets, gets stuck under some debris that's falling as a result of the ship being, uh, mm-hmm. being destroyed. And Pyre is about to execute Kaz, uh, a la, same style that they were going to execute Rose and and Finn uh, in in the in the Last Jedi. So, yeah, I mean, you have the, once again this this kind of more mature theme, and then uh, then CB takes the hit and gets a little bit damaged. So when this first happened, I go, oh yeah, that's really sad. That's upsetting that CB was damaged. But then after thinking about it for a little bit, I was just like, oh, it's a droid, like. Yeah, just repair and he it. rolls off the transport back onto the classes at the end, anyways, with yeah. a bucket. So it's not like uh, you know he was too damaged there. Uh, it, they needed a poignant moment, and they can't really injure or kill any of their mm-hmm. heroes. Yeah. But droids, droids can always be repaired. So yeah, it, it is what it is. I was kind of, I was kind of smirking a little bit at yeah. that. I'm like, yeah, you guys have been in all these firefights, and the only one that's going to take a hit is the the it's BB CD. unit. That 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 sounds about right. Um, but still, I'm still having lots of fun, even if maybe this section of mm-hmm the episode is the one that was the most challenging to invest in. Well, and then of course you have to think about like, okay, it caught me for a second that CB might be out, out of commission might be done. (laughs) And so I'm imagining, okay, if, if little kids are watching the show and they see CB kind of do that and his head kind of rolls over, basically like they might think like, Oh no, like this is really upsetting. This is really sad. They may not have that aha moment. It's a droid. They can just fix whatever damage is done. This worked just fine for the eight year olds. There's a reason why R2D2 takes a shot at the end of a new hope, right? Mm -hmm. You think he's done for, but of course, by the end of it, you know, he's all shined up and at the award ceremony with the rest of them. Uh, this is star Wars. (laughs) Uh, in, in the rise of Skywalker, we had some, some droid bait and switch moments too. (laughs) So, I mean, this is, this is well trod territory. Yeah, and then, of course, Kaz gets a final hit on Pyre, of course, the one that has been menacing to the uh, to the Colossus from the very beginning. So he gets that final gotcha moment. 
and then going back to the Supreme Leader. The Supreme Leader is very upset with the work of Tierney and does a nice, familiar force choke. So with this part of this of the episode, as everything is going right for the Colossus and going down to the Destroyer, the last shot we get of Tierney is being force choked. So mm-hmm. <laughs> now, if I'm not mistaken, the scene cuts in the middle of her force choke, does it not? It does. Yeah, we don't see her actually hit the floor. So is this because we know that she met her? She met a uh, a fateful demise. Uh, either way. Because the Star Destroyer, it blows up. So either that's what offed her or Supreme Leader Kylo Ren offed her. Now I'm going to take the the latter stance in that it was the Supreme Leader that offed her. I think that's what they were saying. The only reason why we didn't see her hit the floor and roll over Captain Nita style Mm -hmm. is because this is kids fair and you can't land a blow, right? You got to cut. You got to cut before you make impact. It's the same with uh, choking a person to death full yeah. frame <laughs> on kids fair. But what I want to say about this scene, and I really want to give him credit, typical kids show the arch villain of the series is about to meet their demise. Mm-hmm. You know what always happens on kids fair? You get uh, a radio communication. Oh, the reactor cores uh, compromise. The ship's going down. They hightail it yeah. to an escape pod. They're out of there and they, you know, they live to menace another day. Mm-hmm. No, in this, her failure, her trust in Tam, her inability to properly quantify the zeal and the heart that the Colossus was going to have in being able to oppose them and her arrogance and her hubris, it all comes to a head in a very brutal way. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, it's only cut short because, you know, of the, the necessity of, of the fair, but this was a serious end mm-hmm. to what was really a very serious story uh, in many ways. And I love that they didn't pull their punch. Yeah. They cut the scene, but they didn't pull their punch. They put into the imagination and the, the feelings of every viewer, the harsh end that she was facing there. And uh, it, it impacted me. So yeah. uh, I, I got to say that was a bold move for a, a series like this. Well, absolutely. I mean, for someone like me who, of course, has seen this this move go down a number of times, and I think <laughs> there's only been a handful of them that's that's experienced this and have not died, um, and that's because they've uh, they've pulled back or have gotten distracted mid force choke, whatever it is. But this one, yeah, it it cuts right there. So for the viewers that understand Star Wars and that have a background of Star Wars, they are like, oh wow, this just <laughs> happened on. <laughs> on the Disney Channel, basically. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it really is. It really is a big deal, and it, and it shows this story that that I think that the creators were trying to tell is that yes, this is kids fair, but we also want to communicate this is during the actual time of this new trilogy of Star Wars. Like this is canon. This is occurring when these movies are occurring. So there needs to be enough stakes there to make that believable. And I think this executed, it nailed what it was going for. And, and it really, it really does catch your attention because of course, when you see uh, any show for that matter of someone getting choked, you are kind of, that's not, that's not the time where you get distracted and start texting on your phone. That's the time where you kind of put your phone to the side and start watching it. And yeah, I mean, just seeing this and seeing uh, Kylo Ren, it did throw me off, though, that his voice 
was not that of Adam Driver. <laughs> no, this... They came pretty close. I, w- I was sold on it. So I was sold in the first scene. Okay. So in the first scene, and I wanted to check up on this because to me, it seemed like two different, uh, two different actors voicing Kylo Ren here. It, it could have been, it could have been because this scene stands alone, right? Mm-hmm. Like you've got the, the, the thrust of the narrative, which is they're taking down the ship. Right. You don't need to see her get her comeuppance. You know, no. she's going to blow up, right? right? Like when the ship blows up, you know, that's the end of her empire and everyone else. But I think they got this assembled together and they said, you know what? We need some more heft. We yeah. really need to see that someone get their comeuppance. We, a villain needs to meet their end for this to have impact. Mm-hmm. So I think that this was probably, you know, added in late in the, the episode's development. And because of that, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe they, they had Adam driver do the first lines, but they had to just kind of fudge the, the last ones who knows. But when I was watching the scene, I thought, oh, you know what? This probably was something that they added just to really juice the mm-hmm. finale. Yeah, it makes the the redemption arc in the the Rise of Skywalker hold a little more weight to it because you see what he was doing to people in his own camp. <laughs> yeah, he's chalked up his fair share of sins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we we have that that occurs and then of course Tam goes back to the Colossus and it's kind of it's kind of this moment of redemption for her. Like this is her her truly being redeemed she gets back onto the closet she's having all these nostalgic memories about how she used to work here and she did this in this location uh and i think this kind of communicates to how long she was she was gone for so so we have like even though it it, in as far as actual chronological time are we expected to think that this was a long period of time or a series of weeks this whole season I think we just have to split the difference. We know we had a year from the point of um, the Hosnian system being devastated to the rise of Skywalker. Mm -hmm. So I'm just, my head cannon says we're six months in. Yeah. They're not in the midst of the last Jedi confrontations, right? We're past all of that. Right. So we know that we are just somewhere in that one year period, but the show has made it pretty clear that they've traveled to enough worlds. They got very comfortable mm-hmm. on uh Tahiti planet. So, you know, the, the AO system. So, and they've had the whole pirates thing and they've had lots of little missions to gather fuel. Like they've covered a lot of ground. So the, I think the expectation is that several months have passed and that adds weight to Tam working her way through the, you know, the training in the first order and, uh, you know, just continuing to be pulled further and further from her friends at the Colossus that it means more when she comes back at this point than if she'd just been gone like a week, you know, like, (laughs) I don't think that would have been quite the, the same arc as, uh, you know, her getting really invested in the first order and needing to then pull back after she's kind of made roots there. Yeah. And then another thing, which is extremely interesting. So we have the first scene with Kylo Ren to kind of emphasize this, where we are as far as the timeline. He mentions that he has a plan that he needs basically all, all arms on deck type of thing that he needs. Sure. He needs the presence there. So, yeah, I mean, we could speculate about is this after he's starting to get whiff that the empire that the emperor is out there is you know whatever it is that that's going on because no no yeah. I gotta I gotta I gotta take exception to that and I know that we're both grasping for some sort of tie into Rise of Skywalker because we we wanted something that was right. going to put a nice bow on it but let's just look at things realistically the production of this and the production of Rise of Skywalker were miles apart yep there's no other overlap so why they would kind of make that their little 
Easter egg. I, I think I, I think that's maybe a little too subtle or a little too half baked. The other thing is we know that Kylo doesn't know about the Emperor until literally like a day before the the countdown, you know, to Armageddon happens. Uh, So it's not like he's been strategizing this and thinking, oh, we're going to need fuel because there's a whole bunch of Star Destroyers out there that I'm going to be in command of. Like the movie Rise of Skywalker sets it up that there was no preparation, that this was the Emperor springing it on the whole galaxy, uh, Kylo Ren included. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that that was the case. I think all they really needed to do was explain why the first order cared so much about the Colossus Mm -hmm. and that it is a strategic asset that would just help them in general to be able to project their power through the galaxy. If you have refueling facilities that, that you can dominate. So I don't think you needed to go further than that. They already established it in the first season. We already know that they were trying to insinuate their way on the station. So I I don't think that we need to dig deeper on that. I wanted more tie in with rise of Skywalker. I wanted it for both sides. I wanted the roll call of, jade squadron at the end of rise of skywalker and i wanted them to get a communique from lando or something at the end of this to make everything fuse together neatly but that's just more than the show could have provided considering that yeah this is totally in its own world compared to the box that rise of skywalker was was being uh produced in but we do know that the colossus they're celebrating and of course, Nico, he, he bless his heart, because this guy, he, he tries to compliment people, but sometimes it's at the expense of others. So sure. whenever Tam comes back, he's he's standing right in front of Kaz and Yeager. He's like, oh, Tam, I'm so glad you're back. Things are going to be so much more efficient now. <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, he's throwing shade over at <laughs> over at this individual here. So, yeah, uh, a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, oblivious. He's not throwing shade so much as he's speaking his mind innocently, but doesn't realize how insulting it could be taken. Uh, he's the heart of the show in a lot of ways. So it's nice that they could have a, a lighthearted moment there to welcome her back and show that much like the prodigal son, she's welcomed back with open arms, right? Like mm-hmm. nobody's going to hold it against her, their family through thick and thin. And that's your heartwarming moment. And, and that's, I guess where the series wanted to get to. And uh, yeah, that's it. We have a drink at Aunt Z's and we yep. are out of here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's still not real like there's really not a full on conclusion for the Colossus because the First Order uh, theoretically would just send more ships, but they get distracted sure. with something else that we know about. So the Colossus yes. at this time, they're relaxing. They have their trinket on seas and we have a conclusion on this TV series, which yes. has been so much fun. And for me, my favorite part of these two seasons was just being able to see that dynamic of the first order and the resistance spread across the galaxy. Cause you don't get that very much in the movies. So that's what I enjoyed about it. So I don't know if that's a loaded question for you, but what has been the best part about having this uh, television series? Well, I have two thoughts. One's very similar to yours because we had so little time with the first order in in the force awakens and so little of the backstory of kind of how the politics of the galaxy unfolded and where the first order came from, because Almost none of that is stated directly in The Force Awakens. It's good to have something that just lets us spend a little bit more time Mm -hmm. with these organizations, the Resistance and uh, the First Order, to just make you feel like there's some weight. When you see something happen in the movies, it's good to feel like you kind of understand the stakes and the organizations and the mentality of the people involved. And it just, you know, it, it builds the world more. So this was a nice way to do that. So I appreciate it for that. I I think 
we got more of that in the first season. I really enjoyed how the first order wasn't known as the villains in the galaxy, right? They were just this force that had emerged from the unknown regions Mm -hmm. and, you know, they were, they were powerful and they were stern and they were authoritarian and militaristic, but they weren't really hurting anyone. They were kind Mm -hmm. of building allies and just sort of like strong arming their way Mm -hmm. through the, the known galaxy, but they weren't villains per se. And some people were happy to ally with them sort of like, you got factionalization with the separatists and, and uh, the Republic and the clone wars, right? Like you've got mighty powers uh, that can potentially turn on you, but there were still lots of worlds that wanted to get in bed with the separatists or whatever it was like. So you, you see that there was some politicking and there was a calm before the storm and the first order was kind of happy to walk that line and, and try and maintain that calm as long as they could. Because if you have a calm and a quiet and a, a, a peace, then nobody's really like looking to challenge you and you can kind of just quietly Mm -hmm. spread your tentacles through the galaxy, uh, you know, before people kind of get wise to it and start to rally. And then you've got this big advantage. So you see how the first order got the advantage with resistance. So that, that's very cool. I I enjoyed how that was established. Um, so I think the, the series works well for that, but honestly, the biggest thing that this series did for me at a time when the star Wars fandom is, very heated mm-hmm. and the movies are carving a path that is very distinct and different than the original trilogy. And at a time where you've got fans that have been invested in this for 40 years who have long since grown up and lost the wonder of youth and the innocence that, uh, helped them to connect with the, the original trilogy movies, uh, with such a kind of a, a weird place that star Wars is in right now, or has been in for the last couple of years. It was really nice to watch a show that just, said loud and clear remember that star wars is kind of for kids it's mm-hmm. supposed to be this fun coming of age story with you know uh, a heart and a, a core uh and just some whiz bang fun and yeah. some fast flying action like that's that's what lucas originally set out to do now yeah. you know god bless him he can't help but put like a whole spiritual context in it and you know build these magnificent worlds that's just how george lucas's mind works so you know we got so much more than that but that's really what it was mm-hmm. It was a farm boy trying to figure out how to be a man and realizing, you know, that there's, there's a bigger call for him in the, in the galaxy and rising to the occasion. And it was just played out in such simple, innocent, fun terms in the original trilogy that to watch a story play out in fun, innocent terms in this story. Ah, uh, yeah, it, it was a wake up call that it's okay for star Wars to not be that important. Right. It can be just fun and goofy. And even though some of these stories fell flat and, uh, you know, there was a lot of convenience and a lot of rough dialogue, you know, well, I mean, we've, we've had that for 40 years with star Wars, but even though, you know, there's some things you can criticize about this and it is very juvenile. It was just nice mm-hmm. to have a contrast to something like the last Jedi or the rise of Skywalker that are so polarizing and generate so much fan fervor it's hard to not like this show. This is not a controversial show. Mm-mm. This is a simple show. They blow up the, the star destroyer at the end and that's good enough for the Colossus. That's, you know, that is the win. Um, so I don't know. This more straightforward. Star Wars seems to be more satisfying. And I think we got that with the Mandalorian. I think we got that with resistance and, uh, I hope we get more of that. We need more fun. Star Wars, more youthful, yeah. exuberant, joyful, positive star Wars. And, and I think maybe that's something people could rally around a little bit better than these very divisive movies. Yeah. I think that's my real takeaway on all this. Well, we are just so close to <laughs> another show being released. Now I 
yeah, I mean, I'm excited for it, but I, I don't think it's going to be as far as storyline too happy. I think we're going to see a no. lot of crap <laughs> unfold here. But yeah, I mean, that's that's coming. We are so close to that. Our next mm-hmm. episode will be covering that. Like, that's how close we are. So we are just a week away before our listeners can get some Star Wars TV talk. The Clone Wars Season 7. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is going to be so exciting. So I hope they come back for that. But if they can't wait, John, if they can't wait for a week to hear your voice, where can they go to hear more of you? Well, before I get into that... Um, I just want to do a little PSA for anyone who has Disney plus mm-hmm. they just dropped the like 20 essential clone wars episodes to watch yep. before season seven comes out. So if you hop on Disney plus and watch that playlist and I'm working through it myself, or, you know, maybe hop on YouTube and get some of the, like the timeline synopsis, I'm going to be doing my homework for the, the next week because it's been years, you yeah. know, since I've really got the full scope of, of the clone wars. I watched it very sporadically when it, it first came out. So uh, I need a refresher. So I think, you know, this is the time we got a solid week here. This is when we should be uh, refreshing ourselves and just getting up to speed so that when we jump back into the clone wars, we're there with them because they're not going to stop and, and set the table for us from everything we're hearing and what we've seen in the trailers we're just jumping right back in like the last episode happened last week and we're just continuing on. So uh, get up to speed, but if you burn yourself out on Clone Wars prep, you can always head over to snlpodcast.com. That is the Saturday Night Live After Party podcast that I produce. We cover all new SNL. We just put out an episode on the RuPaul hosted episode from last week. And uh, yeah, we have a lot of fun over there breaking down every new episode. And um, if anyone's into SNL, by all means, check it out, snlpodcast.com. And you can keep up with this show throughout the week on Twitter at Star Wars TV Talk and emailing us at hello at Star Wars TV Talk.com. And of course, online at Star Wars TV Talk.com and by searching for Star Wars TV Talk wherever you get your podcast. And please don't forget to leave us a five star review. And if you are interested in other TV Talk podcasts, you can find some awesome ones at tvtalk.fm thank you so much for listening and may the force be with you always